going out there? Good. Are you packed in a little bit like sardines? Very good. That's good. Good. You know, I heard one time that the only people in the whole church that like a, a church service packed is the preacher. Is that true? Is I mean a little... Anyway, I love it. I'm glad to see you guys today. Um, hey, if this is your very first time with us, welcome. So glad you're here. I hope I get a chance to meet you uh, before you go home today. But man, welcome. God's just doing something really special here at our church, and we want you to be a part of it. And I hope you'll continue to come uh, and joining us. Let me ask you this. Have you had a uh, good new year so far? Yes. Has it gotten off to a good start? Yes. Good. Mine has. Pretty good. I had a birthday the other day. I didn't know if you know that or not. 47. Yeah. 40, 47. And on my 47th birthday, I uh, found myself in the drive-thru at uh, one of Northwest Arkansas's popular coffee spots. And I was in the drive-thru and I was getting a drink. It was one of those la-di-da foo-foo drinks that uh, people pass off as coffee. Um, I don't like the stuff to be personal with, personal with me, but, but um, they give you a free drink on your birthday. <laughs> and my wife loves it. And so being a good husband, I went there and I got my free drink and I gave it to her, which she loved. And I think every good husband should take his free drink and nothing says I love you like giving your freebies away. All right, so I did that. And all was well, but I gotta be honest with you, when I was in that drive through line, my ego took a little bit of a hit, I'll be honest with you. Uh, the young lady that took my order, who couldn't been a day over 19 or 20 years of age, she was doing what she was trained to do, which was to engage the customer, me, while my drink is being made. And since it was my birthday and she knew I was there getting a free drink, she said this question. She asked this question to me. So how old are you? <laughs> and I just tried to answer, you know, just trying to be a little humble and self-depreciating maybe. I just said, oh, I'm an old guy these days, just old, just old. And she goes, no, really, how old are you? I said, I'm 47 today, I'm 47. And in an instant, her eyes got big and she goes, whoa, that is old. <laughs> and then she reached around, grabbed my coffee, gave it to me, have a nice day, shut the window. And I'm like, what? She got the last word. I, 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 I didn't even know what to say. I was like, whoa, whoa. And so I drove away and I took the coffee to my wife and I gave it to her and I told her that story and she thought it was hilarious. But I just feel like I need to stand before a group of people today and declare, I'm in my prime, baby. I'm in my prime. That's how I feel. It's just a number. <laughs> Ask me in 10 years, and I'll see if I feel that way. Hey, before the holidays, we're in a series called Rescued, and it's a study through the book of Exodus, and many of you know that, and we press pause on that series so we could focus in on the, the Christmas season, the birth narrative of Jesus, which we did, and also spend some time for Celebration Weekend, which by the way, that was last weekend, and I know a lot of you were, were, had other things going on, you're out of town and stuff, but man, let me just tell you, if you weren't here last weekend for Celebration Weekend, please, this week, go online and watch that service. It's, it was an amazing service. We just saw today Brian Obano baptize his son. Wasn't that awesome? Um, he baptized five other members of his family last weekend, and you need to see it, and you need to celebrate that. That's on that video. Um, also, we took a look back over the last year, and we praised God for so many things that had happened, and then we looked forward, and we talked about where we are going in 2023 as a church. It, it's just something our whole church family needs to hear. So please, let me encourage you, if you weren't here last week, go back and watch that online. 
Um, but uh, we are resuming this series today that we stopped back in November, and we're going to pick up right where we left off, which is Exodus chapter 13. So please take out your Bibles and go to Exodus chapter 13. And since it has been a minute since we've been in Exodus, let me kind of refresh your memory of what is happening there. And some of you are joining us for the first time, and I want to catch you up to speed real quick on what we've been studying Way back in the book of Genesis, God said to Abraham, out of your family, I'm gonna build a mighty nation. And the rest of Genesis from chapter 12 on is God building this family and working through Abraham and his son Isaac and his son Jacob and his sons. And these sons, these grandsons and great-grandsons of Abraham end up eventually in the country of Egypt. And it's there that they will, over the next couple hundred years, be very fruitful and multiply, and they will grow into a large group of people. And then Pharaoh who oversees all of Egypt, he takes notice that right under his nose in his country, there's this large group of people that is growing and he becomes afraid of them. And the Bible tells us that Pharaoh looked out over all these people and he said, you know what? If they choose to revolt or join with one of our enemies, they could overthrow us. And so Pharaoh makes them slaves and he tries to control their population. Do you remember how he tried to do that? He gave this horrible order that all the Hebrew baby boys born must be thrown in the Nile River. Are some of these details coming back to you now? This is where we meet Moses. Moses is one of those Hebrew baby boys that survived that awful order. And by the providence of God, he winds up being raised in Pharaoh's own household. Can you believe it? Pharaoh's own daughter took him as a son. And then he lived in that household as like a prince of Egypt, a royal, until he was 40 years of age. Something happened and he runs away in, uh, for his life. And he will spend the next 40 years of his life being a family man and a shepherd in the land of Midian. And now, Moses is 80 years old, doing his thing, living his life, probably happy as a bug until one day he's out with his flocks and he notices what? A bush on fire. Is this coming back to you, some of the details? And the voice of God speaks out of that bush and says, Moses, Moses. And he comes over to the bush and, and he says, I've heard the cries of my people in Egypt and I'm raising you up to go and rescue them. And of course, this was wonderful news to Moses. No, it wasn't. He kind of went kicking and screaming, but he eventually goes, and before long, he's standing face to face with the most powerful man in the world, Pharaoh. And he says, let my people go. And Pharaoh says, over my dead body. And Pharaoh's now gonna experience 10 plagues that ravaged his country. And after the 10th plague, which was the death angel, the Passover and all of that, the death of the firstborn throughout all of Egypt, it was that, that, that finally caused him to relent. And he calls Pharaoh in the middle of the night, or excuse me, calls Moses in the middle of the night. And he says, get out of here. You and the Israelites, you may go. And Moses leads about 2 million people, best we can tell, marching out of Egypt. Now that is where we left off, and that is where we are picking up today. And we're going to watch them march out of Egypt, and um, life had to have been great. They were feeling good, but they're going to find out real quickly that this escape out of Egypt isn't going as planned, and they're going to learn some very important lessons about God. And these are the same lessons you and I need to be wise and listen to because they transcend time. What God's about to teach them. God has one more lesson for the Egyptians, and there's all kinds of truth and lessons for us today. So let's pick up in Exodus chapter 13. Go down to verse 17, and let's pick up right there. 
When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them on the road through the Philistine country, though, the wa- though that was shorter, for God said, if they face war, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. So God led, them, led the people around the desert road toward the Red Sea. The Israelites went up out of Egypt ready for battle. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him because Joseph had made the Israelites swear an oath. He said, God will surely come to your aid and then you must carry my bones up with you from this place. After leaving Succoth, they camped at Etham on the edge of the desert. By day, the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light so they could travel by day or night. Neither the pillar of cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night left its place in front of the people. Now, as we get into this, we're just gonna walk down verse by verse today and we're gonna let the the text bring out these truths to us. But just for some perspective, since we live here in Arkansas in the year 2023 and we don't live in Egypt all these years ago, um, we may not really be understanding the geography, if you will. Let me just tell you this for perspective. The trip from Egypt to the promised land should have taken them about 11 or 12 days. It's not a long journey. You know, I mean, now I wouldn't wanna walk for 12 days, but in biblical times, it's not a long journey. Little did they know that this 12, 13 day, less than two week journey, little did they know that it was gonna take them 40 years to make. Now understand that there were multiple roads leading out of Egypt. There were well-established routes coming out of Egypt even back in that day. Um, The shortest way to go, which would make the most sense, actually was gonna take them right through Philistine country. And God even said, I'm not gonna do that because even though the Israelites thought they were ready for battle, God knew their hearts, they're not. And he says, if they get attacked, they're just gonna wanna run home to Egypt. He goes, we're not gonna do that. And so God leads them in another path towards the Red Sea. Now these next few verses... Um, that we read are gonna make it feel like that they are gonna turn and then turn back and make a circle. And it feels like they are wasting their time. From a traveler's perspective, the route that God has them on doesn't make a lot of sense. It certainly seems like it's gonna take too long and there is a delay. But something we have to remember when we're studying the Exodus and the Bible clearly um, outlines this for us is that God has other purposes in mind for their journey. God has bigger things in mind than just moving the Israelites from point A to point B. There's a whole lot more than meets the eye and the Israelites are gonna have to learn to trust God in all of this. They're gonna have to learn this very important lesson and they're gonna see it here and they're gonna see it for years to come that God has a bigger picture that he's working on and they may not see it in the moment. And when I think about those things, uh, it makes me say to myself, you know what? I don't think anything's ever really changed since then. Not from then, not till now that God has a big picture and we just need to trust him and we can't always see it in the moment moment. How many of you can think of a time in your life where you just had to trust God because in the moment you couldn't see what he was doing? But later on, perhaps years later, you look back and you're like, I get it now. I see now what God is doing. Has God ever kept you from having something you really want and it it confused you and upset you only to find out later, years later, that if God had given you what you wanted at the time, you would have missed out on something huge in your life, that God had something much better in store? 
There's a big picture going on here, and it becomes very clear here in the book of Exodus, and the people of God are just gonna have to learn to trust him, and the same is true for us today. And, and I look out at you, and I wonder if there's any of you that have come into this place today, and, and you could describe your life in such ways. There's things in my life right now that don't make a whole lot of sense. In fact, I found my way into church today because I'm looking to make some sense out of things in my life. There's things I'm confused about. I don't know what God wants me to do. I don't know why my life right now feels like it's being delayed. I'm having a hard time seeing God. And maybe, if you're just being honest, you might be wondering, can I trust God still? You might have more in common with the Israelites than what you care to admit but I want you to know today that if that's you, and if that's kind of how you feel walking in here, then our text, what we're going to learn through Exodus chapter 14, it should and it will mean a great deal to you today. I believe wholeheartedly that your perspective is going to change today from when you walked in to when you walk out based on what we're going to study from God's word. We learn in our text that God is guiding them. How is he guiding them? He's guiding them with a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. Now, how awesome would that seem? I would love that. What that means is they could travel day or night. And if you got a couple million people, you're gonna wanna travel during the day. I think you're gonna wanna travel during the night. And this pillar goes before them. This pillar of cloud, this pillar of fire is everything. It absolutely is the presence of God with the Israelites. Wherever they go, they just had to follow it. What? A visual. God with them, God guiding them. Would that be an awesome way to live your life today? Would you want that? I'm, I bet you there's at least one person in here, or several that would really want that. Maybe there's a couple of you ladies right now that would say, maybe a little sarcastically, I'd love to order up a cloud to hover over the guy that I'm supposed to marry. You know, that'd be nice, wouldn't it? Maybe there's a few others going, I'd love to have a cloud. Guide me to the college I'm supposed to go to. I don't know. I'd love to have a cloud that would guide me right to the job I'm supposed to take or right to the town I'm supposed to move to. I would love to have a cloud lead me exactly in every place I'm supposed to go. And it sounds wonderful, but I want you to know that we have something better today. You may not realize this. We have something better today than a, cloud of, a, cloud, a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire. We have and the Bible's very clear on this, we have the Holy Spirit. We have the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is God with us, God in us, and God guiding us today. Now, I, I don't wanna take this sermon into some deep theological discussion. We can have that another time. But in the Old Testament, God made his presence known in a very visual way. And we see that through the book of Exodus, don't we? And we see it right here. A cloud, a pillar of cloud, a, clear, uh, a pillar of, of fire. We're gonna see it with the Ark of the Covenant. Later, we're gonna see it with the tabernacle, later the temple. God did physical things. And around these things, God made his presence known. And the people of God always knew God is with us. But there is no tabernacle today, is there? And there is no temple today today. So where in the world does God dwell with his people? Right here. The Bible says that you, your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. 
your physical body has replaced the temple. And in the New Covenant, the New Testament, it teaches that God is with us. Paul was trying to teach the church this truth in Colossians chapter one, and he's explained the New Covenant, how God lives with us, and he's trying to you know, teach a bunch of former Jews and, and, and new Gentile converts what it means to have the presence of God. And he says this in Colossians 1.27. He says, to them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery. What is this mystery? Well, he tells us the mystery is this, Christ in you, Christ in you. You know, the the Exodus happened a long time ago, but the truths that the Israelites learned are the same truths that we must learn as well. That God is with us, that God guides us, and we can trust him. And since we live in an era after the cross and after the resurrection, we live in an era where where the Lord lives in us as the temple of the Holy Spirit. And you know, these realities about trusting the Lord and how he guides guides his people, they're on full display all throughout Exodus 14. So let's look at Exodus 14, verse one. Let's walk down the text verse by verse. Then the Lord said to Moses, tell the Israelites to turn back and encamp near Pi-Hathroth, between Migdal and the sea. They are to encamp by the sea directly opposite of Baal Zephon. You, you recognize all these places, right? No, no, you don't. So when that happens, Pharaoh will think, the Israelites are wandering around the land in confusion, hemmed in by the desert. You see, their route made no sense. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart and he will pursue them, but I will gain glory for myself through Pharaoh and his army and the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord, so the Israelites did this. You know, there's been a lot of effort made for many years to try to figure out exactly the route that the the Israelites took out of Egypt, try to pinpoint every town and the exact point. I, I don't think we'll ever know for sure, definitively, exactly where all these places, we know about where they are and there's a lot of good thought and archeological evidence to support certain areas being certain things, but I don't think we're ever gonna know for sure. It is a fascinating conversation for me, especially because I love biblical archeology, span I love biblical geography, and many of you do as well, and maybe you've tried to figure this out yourself. It's fascinating, but that's not really our goal for our discussion today. Our goal is to understand this in this moment of the text, that we need to understand that it is God who has the Israelites moving around the way that they are because God isn't done showing the Egyptians a massive truth yet. There's something else. There were the 10 plagues and they learned a lot. But there's one more thing, one more lesson, uh, one more emphasis that God wants to make. And he is moving the Israelites the way he is so that he is in a position to make it. There is glory to be had. Pharaoh's hard heart, God is gonna use it to expose this glory and put it on display for himself. So the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire are moving the Israelites in such a way that God is orchestrating his master plan. But the Egyptians, they are watching, they're paying attention to what the Israelites are doing. They think they're just confused. They think that they're lost and they report back to Pharaoh what they see. The Israelites are lost in the wilderness. Here's what happens next, verse five. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, Pharaoh and his officials changed their minds about them and said, what have we done? We have let the Israelites go and have lost their services. 
So he had his chariot made ready and took his army with him. He took 600 of the best chariots along with all the other chariots of Egypt with officers over all of them. The Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, so that he pursued the Israelites who were marching out boldly. The Egyptians, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots, horsemen and troops, pursued the Israelites and overtook them as they encamped by the sea near Pi-Hemroth, opposite of Baal-Zephon. So true to himself, we go back now, Pharaoh enters back into the story. Pharaoh just doesn't learn anything, does he? I mean, isn't that a fair assessment? The guy just never learns. He just experienced 10 of the most devastating plagues that have ravaged his country. No one's ever seen anything like that since or, or then or now. His Egyptian kingdom is in ruins, all because he would not let the Israelites go. And now... In that state, he's regretting that he let them go and he will end up making what will most certainly become one of the dumbest moves in military history of anywhere in the world. It's gonna be awful for him. But let's not forget what's really happening here. It says in verse four, God will gain the glory through Pharaoh's army and the Egyptians will know what? What are they gonna know? I am the Lord. All of this, this master plan, there's one specific reason. I want all the Egyptians to know that I am the Lord. So you and I today, we get the benefit of seeing all of this laid out in the scripture so nicely. Isn't that wonderful? In fact, we have to be careful sometimes when we read the Bible and not be too hard on the people back in the day because we have it laid out in black and white, nicely bullet pointed, and we actually here in this moment, we get to know what God was thinking and exactly what he was communicating to Moses. But back then, they didn't have all this spelled out. Um, all we know is that Pharaoh was blinded by his hard heart and that the Israelites were terrified when they found out that Pharaoh was coming after them. They were terrified. But I love the fact that God explains his actions. And the, the, reason, that he, the reason I point this out is because there are times in my own life, and I know there's times in your life, when life just doesn't make a whole lot of sense in the moment. And there's times I sit back and I wonder, God, what are you doing? I can't see whatever it is that you are doing. And it's in moments like that that I love to come back to Exodus 14. I love to come back to other places in the Bible where God clearly lays out his thoughts. And I'm reminded, I don't have to know everything that God is doing he already knows everything that he's doing. And he's already laid it out. And I can see an example of when the Israelites were terrified. They didn't know what was going on. They didn't make sense. Time seemed delayed. Shouldn't we be getting to the promised land? Nothing makes a lot of sense. But then I'm reminded, oh, wait a minute. It makes sense to God because he's doing something. And it's okay if I don't have all the details right now. This will come into more focus as we get a little deeper into this. So God and the Israelites are wandering around in ways that didn't make sense. And I would argue this today, that this is a reminder that God is a whole lot more involved in our lives than we'll ever give him credit for. Do you believe that today? I mean, really, do you believe that? Do you believe that God's more intricately connected to the day in and day out events of your life than what you give him credit for? I certainly believe that he is. And, and let this text today be a reminder of that truth. Look, at um, Paul reminded the church in Romans chapter 11 
that the way God thinks and the way he is and the way he puts things together is just far beyond us. He says in Romans 11, verse 33, he says, Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that he should repay him? For from him and through him and for him all are are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. It's, It's hard to make sense of things and times simply because we are not God. That's why it's hard. We cannot grasp the big picture at times because we are not God. We may not always know where we're going. We may not always know how we're gonna get there. We may not even know what this is all about, but we do know that God is our guide and Exodus 14 should remind us of that. Now look at the very next verse, verse 10. As Pharaoh approached the Israelites, the Israelites looked up and there were the Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified and they cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone, let us serve the Egyptians? It would have been far better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die here in the desert. This is not a conversation that's recorded earlier at all. This is just something they're cluing us in. That's a conversation that happened and they're saying, didn't we tell you we'd be better off just to serve the Egyptians? This is a very interesting response um, in the text. It it reminds me of the times that we are terrified and scared and confused. Um, We can often, because of that, say the weirdest of things. And to me, this is a very weird response. Did you bring us out here to die because there's no graves in Egypt? I'm like, what? The Egyptians did nothing but dig graves. We're digging up their graves today. And they're going, there was not enough graves. I don't really understand the heart behind this other than when you're scared and you don't know what the future holds and you've got imminent danger, sometimes you say the weirdest of things. But what's the real issue here? What's really going on? They're afraid. They saw super soldiers. They saw uh, the greatest fighting force known to man chasing them. They see that they are trapped and they can't go anywhere. They got the sea in front of them. They got the army coming up behind them. But really, what is the real problem? Israel, in this moment, the people of God, they are forgetting that it was God who brought them to this place. They'd completely lost sight of it. They'd lost sight that it was God that brought them here. Now, let me ask you a question today, church, especially as we get started here on this brand new year. If God is the one who guides you and brings you somewhere, why are we so quick at times to question that and abandon your current situation? Why are we like that? The first sign of trouble, the first sign of unsettledness, We believe in our hearts so much that God brought us to this location, yet we're quick to say, I'm out. Oh, we're a lot more like the Israelites than what we realize. We do that because we forget that it is God who brought us here, and we also forget this very real truth, that if it was God who brought us here, he will pave the way forward from here. It's God's doing. Now, the next verse, we learn that it's Moses' turn to bring some perspective back to the Israelites. It says in verse 13, Moses answered the people, do not be afraid, stand firm, and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. I love this. 
you ask me what are some of my favorite verses in the book of Exodus, we're reading them right here. You will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You only need to be still. You gotta love that, don't you? Is it that easy? I mean, honestly, is God through Moses breaking the code for faith? Can it be this easy? The Lord will fight for you. You only need to be still. And I wonder as Christians today, have we lost sight of this reality in our lives that the Lord is still fighting these battles for us? Can it be this easy? Moses made them a promise. In fact, he told them that three things were gonna happen. Did you catch it in the text? He promised them that uh, they would see the deliverance of God. It was a promise. You're gonna see the deliverance. What else did he promise them? You will never see these Egyptians again. And what else did he say? You're gonna observe that God fights for you. What a powerful moment. You know, I think we forget this, especially in our extremely charged political and activism culture that we find ourselves living in today. I mean, we live in a world where everybody's got an ax to grind about something. Everybody wants to bear arms and draw swords for their specific cause. For me, personally, the counsel of Moses here is a relief to my spirit. Don't be afraid, be calm, stand firm, and watch what God does. He will fight for you, just be still. Now this is not a call to pacifism, and it's certainly not a call for any Christian to be a doormat today. This is a call for some perspective. Friends, this is a call for the church today to have some perspective. Is there a bunch of broken stuff in our world today? Absolutely, we don't have to think very hard for that. Are there ludicrous anti-God pursuits being undertaken today, trying to infiltrate everything from our schools to our families and turn it away from God? Absolutely there is. Are there attempts at laws to be passed that would try to silence every Christian in every square of our cities today? You better believe it. Is there an effort being made to silence preachers like me from preaching the whole counsel of God in their churches? Yep. And I predict more to come in our future. So do we just sit around and just do nothing about it? Well, I didn't say that. But I am calling you to have some perspective on what is happening in this world. Do not be afraid. Do not respond in fear. Stand firm and be still in your spirit. The Lord sees all, the Lord knows all, the Lord has a master plan. We may not be able to see it, but he's got it firmly in place and he will fight for you. Do you believe that today? Verse 15 says, then the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on. Raise your staff and stretch out your hand. You might remember from earlier in Exodus, anytime Moses had his staff in hand, raised it, moved it, it was an act of God. People understood the presence of God is with us and something is happening. 
Raise your staff and stretch your hand out over the sea to divide the water so the Israelites can go through the sea on dry ground. I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they will go in after them and I will gain glory through Pharaoh and his army, through his chariots and his horsemen. The Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I gain glory through Pharaoh, his chariots and his horsemen. Which Egyptians will know this? Not Pharaoh's army, they're all about to die in just a minute. All the Egyptians who are wondering why their army didn't come home. And then they realize what had happened and they start to hear the stories. And then they will know that there is one true God and God is laying it out ahead of time. This is all God's doing. I will gain the glory through Pharaoh. I think it's very important for us to understand God didn't need Moses God didn't need 10 plagues. God did not need a dramatic rescue through the Red Sea to bring the Israelites out of Egypt. All of this comes down to God's love for his people, his master plan, and letting the whole world know that he is the Lord and there is no other, and that is still a plan that he has in place even to this very day. I pray often, and I hope that you pray often as well, that God will get the glory through everything that we do. It's a prayer we pray here at New Life on a daily basis. God, let it be you that's seen, not us. God, you get the glory. In fact, before every service, we pray together with the staff and and we ask God that every time. Lord, when we're done here today, let there be no mistake that it is you who gets the glory for all of it. Friends, I think it's one of the most important prayers that you can pray. That no matter what happens in this world, God gets the glory. Probably some of you were a lot like me last Monday night watching Monday Night Football. And did you see Darren Hamlin go down in that very scary moment? How, who, who saw that? Who knows what I'm talking about? Yeah, it's been all over the news. And uh, I, uh, I remember watching at the time going, oh my goodness, he's not moving. And then you know it goes real serious real quick. And then you hear they're doing CPR on, on the field, which is something you don't hardly ever see. And, and, and I know my family, we're talking, oh my gosh, did somebody just die? Did somebody die here? And over the next few minutes, you feel the emotion coming from the TV into the living rooms and around the world. And what did we see in that moment? Do you remember? I'll give give you a picture of what we saw. We saw everybody. Do you remember? The entire, both teams took a knee, held hands, and they began to pray. And there were calls for prayer to go out all over social media, all around the world. Uh, I, mean, the, I mean, our whole nation, th- hundreds of thousands, focused in that moment, praying for this young man and his life. There was one sports commentator on national television. He's like, I don't know what to do. All I know is we're going to pray. And he led a prayer on live national television to millions of people. Now, let me remind you of something. Over the last few years, there's been great effort made to get prayer out of sports. You know this, right? Coaches have been fired for praying with their student athletes, and they've been in the court cases. And then the NFL has all this thing about taking a knee and not praying and not having overly expressive moments about your faith. I'm telling you, what has been years in the making, God undid in a matter of minutes. And we wonder, I remember back then going, Why doesn't God stop this? What is wrong with our country? Why can't they this and that? Do you remember all this? I'm not watching the NFL anymore. And and we felt powerless to do anything. Could it be, maybe, that we were powerless to do anything because the battle belongs to God. And maybe back then, just maybe, 
God knows, oh, everybody's up in arms today. They have no idea what I'm about to do. And what took years to create, I'll just undo in seconds. Now, um, I, yeah, it's awesome. We'll see what happens with that. But I don't think the conversation about prayer and sports will be the same after this. And it's interesting. Um, last night or yesterday, I went home after church because I recorded the Chiefs games and I watched the Chiefs whoop the Raiders. Yee! All right, watch that. That was awesome. And then the very next game was the Jaguars and the Titans. And did you see what happened? All the players, the whole organization, both sides, met at center field. They took a knee to pray. And my understanding is, I don't know, if we can get out of church anytime soon, we'll go find out when football comes on today. <laughs> Got to talk to John about too much songs. Um, <laughs> no. <laughs> my understanding is every team today is going to do the same thing. I, don't, I heard that. I don't know that. I, I, I'm, it, it, I tell you, there's something in me that says our nation is hungrier for God than the media will ever care to let us in on. And, and I'm telling you, it's, it's moments like these, live TV, that no matter how much control they want, they can't control it can't control what God's doing. It will be very interesting to see. Well, if we don't get moving, we'll be here all day. Um, verse 19, <laughs> then the angel of God who had been traveling in front of Israel's army withdrew and went behind them. The pillar of cloud also moved from in front and stood behind them, coming between the armies of Egypt and Israel. Throughout the night, the cloud brought darkness to one side and light to the other. So neither went, neither went near the other all night long. So just see what's important is you understand the armies were on top of Israel. The pillar of cloud, which was the presence of God, God himself, it now moved from the front of the group to the back of the group like a big dividing curtain, blocking the Egyptians from the Israelites. And do you remember one of the plagues? It was the plague of darkness for three days where it was complete darkness in Egypt, but the Israelites had light. I think it was like that. The Egyptians were in darkness, the Israelites were in the light, and they could move forward and do what God wanted them to do. Verse 21, then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and all that night the Lord drove the sea back with a strong east wind and turned it into dry ground. The waters were divided, and the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and on their left. Just know this, friends. There are always going to be those that will try to explain this away as something natural, or they might say the Exodus account embellishes the story. How in the world could walls of water and dry ground be created? Friends, there's only one way to understand this. This is nothing short than a miracle of God. This is what happened. This is God doing it. Verse 23. The Egyptians pursued them, and all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and horsemen followed them into the sea. During the last watch of the night, the Lord looked down from the pillar of fire and cloud at the Egyptian army and threw it into confusion. He jammed the wheels of their chariots so they had difficulty driving. And the Egyptians said, let us get away from the Israelites. The Lord is fighting for them against Egypt. It's the first smart thing anybody in Egypt has said yet in 14 chapters. <laughs> Unfortunately, it's too little, too late. 
And I would think that if I was one of those Egyptian soldiers, and this is how I study the Bible, I, I try to climb into the shoes of these people and go, what would it have been like if I was there? If I was one of these Egyptian soldiers who had just survived 10 plagues at home and then had to chase the Israelites out in the desert and then saw a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire move from the front of the group to the back of the group and put me in complete darkness, and then I got to see the Israelites walk across on dry land with walls of water on either side, at what point would I say, I'm out? I don't know, but I wasn't there and you weren't there, but what we do know is God had hardened Pharaoh's heart and he had hardened the hearts of those soldiers and when their eyes were opened, it was too late. In verse 26, then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea so that the waters may flow back over the Egyptians and their chariots and horsemen. Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and at daybreak, the sea went back to its place. The Egyptians were fleeing forward toward it and the Lord swept them into the sea. The water flowed back and covered the chariots. This is no little amount of water, by the way. It the water flowed back and covered the chariots and horsemen, the entire army of Pharaoh that had followed the Israelites into the sea. Not one of them survived, but the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with the wall of water on their right and on their left. That day the Lord saved Israel from the hands of the Egyptians and Israel saw the Egyptians lying dead on the shore Dead bodies everywhere. And when the Israelites saw the mighty hand of the Lord displayed against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and put their trust in him and in Moses, his servant. Which is the natural response when we see God move. It's faith, trust, and obedience. Boy, there's so many lessons to learn from Exodus chapter 14. We haven't even unpacked them all, but just know this, that the Exodus account, especially this deliverance to the Red Sea, is one of the most referenced moments in the Bible, both in the New Testament and in the, in the Old Testament. Everybody looks back on this moment, and it is clearly a parallel. The deliverance of the Israelites through the Red Sea is a parallel event to our deliverance from our sins through Jesus Christ. I want you to remember this today, friends, real quick. You can trust the Lord. And I said at the beginning of this, some of you came in here today maybe wondering if I can trust the Lord. Maybe you're watching online right now and you found our church. You're like, I don't know if I can trust the Lord. I hope today you, you know you can trust the Lord. He guides you, he is with you, and he is in you. So be still, be calm, stand firm. The Lord is fighting for you. And friends, if you can remember that each and every day of your life and in your walk with the Lord, you are well on your way to a kind of faith that I think the Lord would be pleased with. Let me pray for you. Lord, I thank you for our study in, in Exodus. Lord, I'm thankful we can come back to it. Lord, I pray that just through the reading of your word today that you have brought to our attention great truths about you. And I would pray, Lord, there wouldn't be any of us in this place today that would walk out of here not understanding that you can be trusted, that you have a master plan, you have your eye on us, and we need to be still and calm and trust you, that you're going to work this plan. And it doesn't have to make sense in the moment, but we just trust you and we rely on you. Lord, I pray and thank you for the fact that these truths that we're learning in the Old Testament apply just as much to us today. They're timeless. Lord, they're timeless because everything that we're reading about in the Exodus leads us to Jesus. And Jesus came and died and rose again.
He paid a great price for the forgiveness of our sins so that we today, every last one of us in this room today, through faith in your son Jesus, can stand a new creation, free from our sins, sanctified, holy, have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in our lives as a sign and seal for that day when we enter into eternity with you. Oh Lord, I pray that would be realized throughout everybody in this room and everybody watching online and anyone who would see this in the future. Lord, I pray that all glory and honor and praise goes to you through everything we do. And that Lord, let it be clear that in Bella Vista and beyond and around the world, there is one God. There is no God like Jehovah and he is to be praised. In Jesus' name, amen, amen.